Welcome back to Crashing the Boards, the Northwestern Women's Basketball Podcast. Back for more. We took a break last week. That is our fault. We had some technical difficulties, but we're really excited to be back. I'm Amit Malik, joined this week over Skype by Matt McHugh and Darren Zaslow, two familiar faces, hopefully by now for the women's basketball followers out there. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Amit. You know, last week was a little tough to do that, but... You know, we're back this week, and uh, we got some we got some exciting basketball to talk about. Yeah, guys, doing well. Excited to be on my first Northwestern Women's Basketball Podcast. I'm looking forward to it. You may remember Darren was just on the Maryland game with Austin. He also did the first Wisconsin game with Austin as well. So I'm sure if you're following you, you've heard his voice the last few times. Um, let's start with that Maryland game. This was... Uh, Northwestern's best performance of the season played number 14 Maryland at home at ETHS uh, and really gave them the game of the year. This was a really, really tight basketball game and could have even gone Northwestern's way down the stretch. Matt, I'll start with you first and we'll go to Darren, who was there, you know, really locked in the whole way. Matt, I guess you were there, too. This was also Star Wars night at Evanston. Um, you know, maybe that was, maybe that was contributing. I don't know, Matt, tell us about this one. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe the force was with Northwestern for this one at ETHS, but, but yeah, they just kind of, there was a different vibe around this game. We knew going in Maryland was going to be the hardest team that Northwestern played all year long on schedule. I don't think that was going to even be up for debate, but then at this point, Northwestern just went in with the right mentality. They played them even in a really high scoring first quarter. And then, Maryland got a little cold. Northwestern was just able to hang around. It was just, you know, so frustrating down the stretch because Palace Kunayakpana got hurt, took a tough hit to the head. She was limping around, clearly not herself. And I think that happened at just the worst time for this team because if she was healthy for that whole fourth quarter, I honestly think Northwestern would have come out on top, which is something that in the year I never thought I'd be saying, but that just goes to show how close they were to pulling it off. Yeah, Matt. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and what a game it was. Uh, of course, Northwestern losing is tough from an emotional perspective with the way that the game went with tons of momentum shifts throughout the game. But if you're a Wildcats fan, especially if you're head coach Joe McEwen of this Northwestern team, you have to be really happy with the way the Wildcats played. Keep in mind, like you mentioned a bit, it's a number – 14 team in the country uh, with the Terrapins. How about the way Northwestern defended the basketball? Maryland in that game, just two of eight from beyond the arc. And keep in mind, this Maryland team entering that contest was the best three-point shooting team in the entire conference at 40.4%. Also, as well, Maryland rebounding the basketball. This season, the Terrapins have been the best in the Big Ten. Northwestern did a phenomenal job attacking the glass in this game, out-rebounding Maryland 34-25. to Maryland entering that game, when you look at rebounding, again, the best in the Big Ten, averaging 45 rebounds per game. Northwestern held the Terrapins to 20 rebounds under their average. That's incredible where it also came down to was the paint as well, and Northwestern really dominant in that department, outscoring the Terrapins 40-36. to 36. So for the Wildcats, a great job defending the three, fantastic job crashing the boards, and really dictating their dominance in the paint. Three great departments Northwestern won in that ball game, although they did not finish on top in the final result. Darren, I think you hit that on the head perfectly. Palsunak Pana, like you said, Matt, really was the difference down the stretch. She was excellent, led Northwestern with 10 rebounds, had another double-double, 16 points. And I think if you're talking about that play inside, you got to give a lot of credit to Abby Wolf in this one. Played 18 minutes off the bench for Northwestern. Uh, I think that's, you know, one of her highest totals of the season. I don't know about the highest. She, she might have had one maybe against Northern Illinois a while back, but... Six rebounds from her, 4-4 from the free throw line. Just give you some big minutes inside against Maryland. So really good to see her turn that in. And, you know, you talk about the three-point shooting holding Maryland, two of eight. You know, Kristen Confroy, one of the best shooters in the conference, had no three-point attempts. 
I think that's something Joe McEwen has been trying to focus on. Um, really, you know, in this Big Ten play, you go back to Purdue. Uh, they kind of got burned behind the three-point line there. Even in the win against Wisconsin, uh, you know, Suzanne Gilreath kind of got them from three. It's certainly been a focus for him. He had to be happy that his team answered that call uh, at ETHS last Thursday night. This is, uh, this is a really good performance in Northwestern, and, you know, kind of – I know it's frustrating. It's They still lost this game. It's really frustrating because you could have had, you know, a really marquee win, but you knew Northwestern was kind of due for one of these performances this season, Big Ten play, where they were going to get one of these big teams – and really, you know, show it to them because there's too much talent in this starting five. I think that's what I'm kind of starting to see with this team, that the depth is is the problem. But, you know, what they've got on the court is really promising. Exactly. And, well, we've seen this from Northwestern each of the last couple of years, too, is that even in some seasons where they don't really get the Big Ten record they were hoping for, they still come through with a big upset or a near upset in this case uh, against one of those top teams. And, especially with Conroy, like you mentioned, of it, shutting her down, not even letting her take a three in the game. She has burned Northwestern in the past. She continues to be a great shooter for this team. And just taking that element of their game away really kind of put Maryland a little bit more of an uncomfortable position. And that's exactly what Northwestern needed to keep this game close. And like you said, again, with Abby Wolf, they just got big production from a lot of players that they needed. And even with Jordan Hamilton having an off game, that's kind of crazy to think about that you had to think that to hang with Maryland, they would need everybody to have almost the best game of their season. But that wasn't even the case. So maybe that gives them some hope that they can hang in there with really anybody as the rest of Big Ten play continues. Yeah, Matt, you bring up Jordan Hamilton. That's a player on this Northwestern team that's been a lot of fun to watch uh, throughout the season in this first year. Despite an off game shooting the basketball for Jordan Hamilton, I think the job she did defensively was phenomenal. Uh, tied a career high with four steals, and we know the way that Maryland plays in transition. This Terrapins team likes to run with the basketball, and they're quick in transition because they eliminate that outlet pass immediately off the rebound. They get the ball into the hands of the guard, and they run up the floor. They don't waste time setting the ball to the far sideline to get the ball up the court. They rebound and go. So Northwestern, by causing 16 Maryland turnovers, a team that turns the ball over about 14 and a half times per game, so Northwestern causing a couple more turnovers than Maryland usually has, that's a good sign as well. But the Wildcats were able to hang around in this tempo game. Northwestern likes to run that half-court offense, and they got Maryland out of its rhythm by doing a couple different things defensively, we saw a 2-3 zone earlier on in the game. Then they switched into what looked like a 3-2 zone, trying to be dynamic with that defense in terms of scheme. I really liked what I saw with the Wildcats on the defensive side of the basketball. And really the whole year, Northwestern has been very solid defensively. And in my opinion, that's been a huge dimension that has kept this team in basketball games. Yeah, Darren, you go back to the Purdue game, holding the Boilermakers to just 63, holding Maryland to 68. Uh, those are some really good defensive efforts. Uh, I certainly think the zone has been working for them. And if they can shut down the three-point shooting, they really become a complete defensive team is what you saw against Maryland. Maybe this is for you or Matt, you know, whoever wants to answer this one. You know, this game was winnable there at the end. What could Northwestern have done differently down the stretch? Obviously, Palace, you know, missing some time. But what could they have done differently to maybe have gone and won this game? Yeah. Well, Matt, oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, you're good. Uh, I was just, want, just wanted to touch on this because this was exactly where this game um, went Maryland's way, in my opinion. Uh, Northwestern has turned the ball over a lot this year. We've seen that time and time again. The Wildcats had 22 turnovers in this game to Maryland 16. And, and I was thinking about the statistic and with the way that Northwestern has turned the basketball over this season, of course, that has been a problem uh, for the Wildcats this year. Entering the game, Northwestern turned the ball over about 16 and a half times per game. That's the second most in the Big Ten. But you think about it. How do you limit turnovers? Do you practice it? Well, you don't necessarily know what a defense is going to show you. 
the way that teams match up defensively, it's dynamic. It's always changing. And we saw that with Northwestern's defense against Maryland. It's something that's really, really difficult to work on in practice because you have no idea what you're going to see. So what that says to me when I see high turnover numbers is it's a young team. You know, and you look at your two ball handlers in Lindsey Pulliam and Jordan Hamilton. Now, we're not blaming this on them in any way, shape, or form, but this is a younger team than we've seen in years past. That's a number that speaks youth to me when I see a high turnover number like that. Matt, I don't know if you agree. No, I think that's a big part of it, Darren. But I think there's another element at play there, which is Maryland as a defensive team is really good. And for a lot of this game, the game was kind of played in transition with a bit of chaos, kind of on both ends of the floor. And when that happens, the turnover numbers are going to be high, and that's that's okay. That's something that Northwestern has shown at times this year that they can play through and play with. And, I mean, Maryland turned the ball over 16 times as well. So it wasn't just a Northwestern problem in this game, but there obviously is that element of youth that you were talking about. It's why we've seen this a few times this year, those 20-plus turnover games. But if we're looking at it as a general trend, they've started to trend away from these really, really high turnover games. In fact, in conference play, this was their first one that they'd had and this was their eighth conference game. So, you know, it's a sign of improvement that it isn't happening as often, but with a young team, this is something you're just going to have to deal with on a few nights here and there. Yeah, Matt, and to add on to that as well with what you're saying here, Northwestern in this game, I know it's a Northwestern team that doesn't shoot the three ball all that much, but the Wildcats against Maryland, one of four from the perimeter. I just felt like throughout this game, if there was a splash play, if you will, or a momentum-changing play, Northwestern was going to have to hit a three. It's really, really difficult to beat Maryland to begin with, let alone turn the ball over 22 times and make one three-pointer. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's improbable. And unfortunately, that's part of the reason why this game went Maryland's way, at least in my opinion. Thanks, guys, for that analysis. Moving on then to the second kind of game we have here to analyze. Another good team in against Michigan on Sunday. Maybe a less desirable result. I guess we don't have to talk too much about this one. Northwestern is going to see them again uh, next Thursday in Ann Arbor. Uh, Michigan is a, is a very good team as well. You know, they're kind of in that same ballpark as Maryland. Maybe we'll, we'll finish below them in the conference. But this was kind of a little bit more frustrating for Northwestern just because their defense kind of kind of showed its cracks against a very good Michigan offense. And Hallie Thobe uh, really just, just kind of had her way inside. Yeah, it was a tale of two halves, and neither half was really in the favor of Northwestern. The first half was Hallie Thobe just dominating in the post. The Cats could not stop her there. She finished with 25 points. We've seen that story many times because she's probably the best post scorer, one, if not one of the best in the Big Ten and the whole country. She's so good down low. We knew that going in. And then Caitlin Flaherty, she started off the game pretty cold, but then she just absolutely caught fire in the second half. Another one who's in the conversation for one of the best point guards in the conference. She finished with 27 and 6, 5 for 7 from deep. Those two will kill you night in, night out. Those are the only two players in double figures for Michigan. So this next week upcoming against the Wolverines, the Cats are going to have to figure out some way to stop them, which is easier said than done. Yeah, man, I think the positive in this game for Northwestern, the turnover numbers were down comparatively against Maryland. Northwestern with 16 in this game, they forced uh, 12 Michigan turnovers. What I thought was most surprising was Northwestern's aggressiveness shooting the ball from beyond the arc. Northwestern took 20 shots from the perimeter, only made five for 25 percent, but it's been a while that we've seen Northwestern take 20 shots uh, from the outside in this game. Abby Scheid made two. Jordan Hamilton had one. Uh, Bree Hopkins with two. Abby Scheid, a really great game, 18 points uh, and five rebounds. Palace Kunai Akpano with yet another double-double, 11 points and 14 rebounds. So you're seeing your front court really continue to develop with Scheid and Palace Kunai Akpana, but very, very interesting offensive game plan being more aggressive from the perimeter. That was something I wasn't expecting, given the way they shot the ball from the outside against Maryland. 
Yeah, Darren, and the, the thing about this one that Joe McEwen said after the game, is kind of his post-game press conference, is that was not the game plan coming in, but Pauskunayak Pana was just having, you know, a good game. She's kind of been playing really well recently, is that they were doubling her a lot inside, forcing Northwestern to three three-point shots. And, Matt, you, you can back me up on this, is that on this podcast we've said, hey, you know, maybe Northwestern should uh, let it fly a little bit more from behind the arc. Well, the counter-argument to that is that maybe that's not their strong suit, they're not a team designed to do that. Um, Abby Scheid, two of seven. Jordan Hamilton, one of six. You're, you're going to combine with Pulliam as well. You're going to go three for 16 from behind the arc with your starters. Uh, that, that's that's going to happen. That, 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 that's what can happen if you're you know not a great three-point shooting team. Certainly if some of them went in, maybe this was a different game. Uh, it's something for, for Northwestern to obviously work on as they adapt their offense maybe a little bit more from a slower half-court offense this year to a little more fast pace and outside, inside next year, they could work on that. And then also, you know, this game was weird because it's not that Northwestern was ever right there, but they were kind of lurking in that uh, eight to nine, 10 point range the whole time uh, in this game. And what would happen is Caitlin Flaherty in the second half would just keep off the Northwestern run single-handedly with some huge shots uh, she was great, re- just really great for Northwestern and uh, for Michigan. And that's something they're going to have to stop when they see this team again. I think they can play them better, but it's going to be very hard on the road, especially in the Chrysler Center, which that you and I just saw firsthand is a very tough place to play basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, you mentioned Northwestern taking more threes. I still don't know if that maybe in the long run that is a better strategy to go, but this is a team that's still developing from deep, and Jordan Hamilton, 1 for 6, Lindsey Pulliam, 0 for 3. Those are some players that just, you know, as they start progressing, they'll probably develop the three-point shot. That's a story we've seen time and time again in college basketball as a player comes in, an okay three-point shooter, but then just as they grow up and as they mature with the program, they develop that part of their game just more and more so. I think maybe next year, the year after, we'll see Northwestern really start taking over 23s a game like in this one. But for now, I think for the rest of this season, maybe you can experiment a little bit. But for the best results, it probably makes the most sense to slow it down, play that half-court style, use Palace, use Abby Scheid as a post player a little bit more, and just kind of try to go that route as far as just pure getting buckets goes. But there's an argument that for just long-term development, it makes sense to just kind of toy around with these games. So I kind of like that they decided to shoot a little bit more in this one because, you know what, why not? You can get better at it this way, and maybe this will help them improve in the future. Yeah, Matt, you're exactly right. And the way that Michigan this year has defended the three-point shot, it's been excellent. Michigan with the best uh, three-point percentage defense in the Big Ten, opponents shooting Uh, Under 30%, 29.6% against the Wolverines. So Northwestern showing some confidence. Not letting the numbers intimidate them uh, is something that I really like. But another category I think we haven't talked about yet that Michigan really dominated in. It's one of the little things in basketball. It's called shooting the ball from the charity stripe. Michigan was perfect in this game. 17 for 17 on top of controlling rebounding. out-rebounding Northwestern 42-31. to 31. So those are a couple of the other departments that I look at in this game when you see Michigan, how they shot the ball, uh, especially with Caitlin Flaherty like we talked about. But it's just some of these other areas that Northwestern was outscored in in this game. But I agree with you, Matt. I mean, there were times Northwestern was in this game. And I think, Amit, you brought it up that this team has the potential to play Michigan uh, tougher. I firmly believe that as well so i'm excited to see what adjustments northwestern decides to make uh the next time out against the wolverines yeah darren i think that that pretty much wraps up there's not too much else to say about this game uh you know wasn't a good one for northwestern but there you know you hit on a little bit of the positives that were there on sunday northwestern had this week off they're back on sunday uh they get to play indiana on the road super bowl sunday uh, we'll be sending Tim Hackett and Frederick out there, Frederick Bouget, to, to be on the call, so make sure you tune in. And then on Thursday, they'll be in Ann Arbor for Michigan. And then on Sunday, they'll, they'll play Iowa, uh, I think, at ETHS. So three games here for us to talk about. Let's start with the Hoosiers. Um, a very talented team on paper before the season, a popular NCAA tournament pick from the Big Ten by many. And, Matt, it's it's been pretty much a nightmare season down in Bloomington. 
not what has been in store for not what was planned for Tyre Boston Company. No, not at all. Eleven and twelve in overall record, four and six in the Big Ten. This is by every stretch of the imagination a disappointing season for the Hoosiers. But that being said, there's some signs that they're starting to turn it around and play some better basketball. They've won three straight, albeit not against the best competition in the conference, but you know, winning three straight, one of them on the road hey, at Michigan hey, State. Beating Rutgers is good, or is Rutgers? Maybe we'll Rutgers save that for is, later. Is coming back down to earth a little oh, bit. No. <laughs> it was going to be a low-scoring game, but the fact that you're right, the fact that Indiana won is is still notable there. And uh, you know, three straight is three straight. So give some credit there. They still have the talent, which is by every stretch of the imagination, a talented bunch. I think they still have the t- true talent of an NCAA tournament team. It's just, you know, the mental wear and tear of going 11 and 12 and not living up to those expectations is kind of weighing them down a little bit. But, you know, you got to watch out for them. If they have started to figure it out at this point, that's not a place you want to go into on Sunday. Yeah, Matt, you're exactly right. And I look at this stretch for Northwestern, even span it out another two games uh, against Penn State and Illinois for the next five opponents on the slate for Northwestern have under 500 records in conference play. So if there's a time for Northwestern to find a way to grab some conference wins and move up in the Big Ten standings, it's now, uh, at least in my opinion. And you look at where Indiana is right now, 11 and 12 overall, four and six in conference play, currently holding that number 11 spot uh, right now in the Big Ten. And I know it's probably too early to start talking about the Big Ten Conference Tournament. But when you look in that first round, that 11 through 14 round, Indiana's playing Illinois. It's a team that's winless in the Big Ten. So Northwestern would currently be playing Wisconsin in that 12-13 game, Northwestern at number 12 right now. That's a big spot going from number 12 to 11. Would you rather play Wisconsin if you're Northwestern at this point? Or a winless Illinois team, I think you'd rather take on Illinois. So if the Wildcats can find a way in this stretch to just grab a few wins, maybe get some help from Indiana losing, Northwestern, of course, can can help themselves by taking down the Hoosiers. This is a huge, huge stretch for the Wildcats. I think you can make the argument these next five games are the most important in terms of winnable games for the Wildcats this season. Yeah, Darren, you're right there in that this is a really good stretch for Northwestern to pick something up. And I like that you're you're thinking about the Big Ten tournament. It's going to be here quicker than you think. Certainly it would be more uh, it'd be better for Northwestern to play Illinois, but would rob us of the rubber match between Sippus, Jonathan Sippus, and Joe McEwen here having split the season series. I, for one, uh, would really like a chance to beat them a second time because I think Northwestern – it's to prove to itself that it's it's better than the Badgers. But that being said, back to Indiana. Um, this is a talented team. Uh, they're led by Tyra Buss, who is a, a pretty much do-it-all guard. Uh, kind of a Caitlin Flaherty light, uh, if you think about how well Caitlin Flaherty is playing this season. You know, I think they might be comparable level talent-wise. Uh, Buss having a great year, averaging 19.9, pretty much 20 points from the field, five assists or so. Uh, three-point shooting's a little bit down for her, uh, shooting just 34% from the field. Uh, she's also only shooting 69% from the line. So she'd like to get those numbers up. And then they also have Amanda Cahill, who is uh, one of those very good bigs in the Big Ten, probably a class below Hallie Thome, Amanda Gustafson, but then right there uh, below them, she's averaging uh, 14 and 8 per game. And then they've got some other players kind of filling out this roster, Jalen Penn, has been one of the best freshmen in the Big Ten. Um, uh, maybe not scoring like Lindsey Pulliam, but scoring double digits. Has just won two straight Big Ten Freshman of the Week awards. This is a solid team, as you guys have mentioned. Tournament-level team. Now, the thing with this group is uh, I really don't think they're as do- uh, deep at all uh, as maybe Northwestern is. Or not, sorry, Northwestern's not very deep either. But um, this is not a very deep Indiana team. They've got six players they really lean on. Uh, and the fifth players, the six players are uh, stretched. They really roll with that starting five a lot. Uh, so it's going to be a, a, a kind of a similar matchup in terms of that on Sunday. I think this is a game Northwestern plays well. They got to like their chances, but they're going to have to play above uh, maybe what they've been executing for a, a most of the season because Indiana is kind of getting on a roll here. 
Yeah, they are, Amit. And when you mentioned Tyra Buss and Cahill, those are the two that you absolutely have to zero in on. Tyra Buss seems like she's been there forever, but she's in her senior season now, just a pure scoring guard, the kind that can give Northwestern fits on the defensive end. And then Amanda Cahill, you mentioned her in the same class as Gustafson and Thoman. While she is a big, she's kind of a different style of big. She's a really good perimeter player. She's a stretch four, can knock down threes at over a 40% clip. She's and made more to me, threes she's, this season than Tyra Buss. Yeah, no, exactly. She plays a lot on the perimeter, but she can also get it done down low. You mentioned getting a lot of boards as well. That's just the kind of player she is. And to me, that's like what Abby Scheid's ceiling could be, is being Amanda Cahill, a player who is that stretch four who can play on the perimeter, but also grab some rebounds and help out in the post as well. So that's exactly what you want in a in a big to fit that style. So, you know, it's a tough, tough ask for Northwestern to guard those two. But if they just, you know, here and there get those stops and zero in on the star players, that's going to be the key for them against Michigan in their next game as well, is try to take away the stars, force the role players to beat you like they did in Maryland. And, you know, if they can play it like the Maryland game, then we got a ball game. Absolutely. Uh, this Indiana team's played some really, really good basketball over the past couple weeks on a three-game winning streak, wins over Michigan State, Wisconsin, uh, most recently against Rutgers uh, back on January the 27th. But we've been talking about uh, Tyra Buss, and the way I look at Buss, 12 points against Rutgers in the most recent victory for the Hoosiers, but Buss, over 2,000 points scored in her career also has an Indiana program record for career steals with 261. So Tyra Buss, not just someone to watch out offensively, she's been excellent throughout her career at Indiana defensively as well. When you look at the Hoosiers' perimeter offense as well, it's an above-average three-point shooting offense, uh, scoring 36.1% of their three-point opportunity. So that's another area Northwestern has to definitely focus on. And if you're head coach Joe McEwen, you know that this team shoots the ball well from the perimeter. They're number five in the conference. What do you do? Do you go to a 2-3 zone? Do you go to a 3-2? Do you match up man-to-man? Do you go to a 2-3 matchup zone? I mean, there's tons of different options Northwestern can go to defensively. I'm curious to see what they decide to go to against this Indiana team that has really caught fire as of late. This is a, a good game test for Jordan Hamilton to see if she can kind of guard Tyra Buss. Uh, I'm sure they're going to see a lot of each other, maybe in a zone, maybe less than if they were playing man, but going to be a good assignment for her. And then either Kunayak Pana or Shide, whoever's tasked with stopping Cahill, uh, that's going to be a big one for them. Uh, I love to look at the ranking summaries, Darren. Maybe you, you've heard about this. Uh, Matt certainly knows is my favorite thing to do. Uh, looking here at Indiana, what they what their the ranking is, not a lot of good stuff. Um, they are top 50 in the country in three-point field goal percentage. So as you mentioned, Darren, a good team, fifth in the conference, shooting 36% from three. Uh, they are second to last in the conference in rebounds per game. Uh, uh, 35 rebounds a game. That number is often hard to con- hard to contextualize, but Northwestern. Uh, could be a game for them to exploit them on the glass, especially with Kunayak Pana playing well there. Uh, their, their assist to turnover ratio isn't great. It's 0.8. That's third to worst in the conference. So maybe something to exploit as well. They're kind of a middling team uh, in a lot of these stats. Not a lot of good ones, not a lot of bad ones. Um, Tyra Buss, however, is first in the country in minutes played. Uh, if you thought that she, they were reliant on her, you were right. She is their engine. She is everything for them. Cahill is fourth in the country in minutes played there, one and two in the Big Ten. So I think if you're playing the Hoosiers, it starts and stops right there. Stop Cahill and Buss. Uh, you're going to have a chance in that one. If we can kind of wrap this Indiana game up, uh, how do you guys think this game is going to go? And just give me your your key for Northwestern making this a game that they can win. Well, I mean, I hinted at this earlier, but it's, it's going to be about taking away the shooters, just like they did with conferring Chris Anaki last Thursday. If you can take away Cahill and Buss, which is going to be a big ask for Jordan Hamilton, like you were talking about, and either Abby Scheid or Kunai Akpana, if you can take them away, the role players on this Indiana team are a notable step down in the role players of Indiana teams prior. And You know what? That's what you're going to have to do. That You're going to have to force them to go off and have 
a big game to beat you. If you can do that, if you can lock in defensively on the two big scorers for Indiana, you can be a grinded out kind of a low scoring game in the 50s or 60s. And you know what? You can make it a pretty close ball game. I still think uh, with the home court advantage for Indiana, I lean that way. But I th- I'm confident in Northwestern's ability to make this a ball game and hang in there and make this one worth watching in the fourth quarter. The big thing for me, and this has been a key really throughout the year, it's not just Indiana specific, it's through this stretch, it's the rest of the regular season and the Big Ten Conference Tournament, it's limiting turnovers. It's just, it's so hard to win a game when you turn the ball over 16.6 times per game. That's the most in the Big Ten. You're just putting so much more pressure on your offense, more pressure on your defense, just more pressure on your players. Um, I, it, it, and it's the problem is that it's so hard to practice limiting turnovers. And maybe you can't even practice limiting turnovers because you never know what a team's going to show you. But I think for Northwestern, that's really the key here. And when we've seen this team have success, they've limited turnovers. They've dominated the game, um, rebounding as well with Palace Kunai Akpana, with Abby Scheid. That's my key. Limit turnovers. Find a way. I mean, if we want to put a number on this, find a way to keep it around that around that 10 mark usually and dominate the glass. You'll give yourself a good chance to win night in and night out when you do those two things. Let's move on to Michigan then. Again, game on Sunday, 2 p.m. tip-off in Bloomington. Tim Hackett and Frederick Bouget on the call. But looking ahead to Michigan, I'll actually be there with Austin in Ann Arbor on Thursday night. Uh, maybe don't need to spend too much time with them. I'm sure you're familiar. We just saw them on Sunday. Uh, looking schedule-wise, they're 19-4. and four. Uh, they're, they're having a great year, 8-2 uh, and two in conference. Uh, you kind of look at what they just did. Um, they, they, they haven't played since they, they played Northwestern, but they're going to see Purdue and Rutgers kind of two games before they see us again, um, you know, kind of recapping their schedule. They have a big win at Ohio State. 84-75, to 75, certainly the win of their season. Their win against Nebraska is turning out to be a very good win as well. They did lose to Ohio State the first time the men in overtime, uh, and their other loss uh, to Iowa, who, who is a good team as well. So this is a, an elite Big Ten team. Uh, we know who their stars are. We know what's going to happen. Anything to add kind of about Michigan that's worth c- considering the second time around? I'm just going to focus again on I think the best way to stop Michigan is to take away that post game and maybe Flaherty can have more of that first half, but just extend that for the whole game. Because realistically, you're not going to get this two of what the top 10 players in the conference. It's hard to stop both of them at the same time. But I think you can throw all your attention on the post, kind of force Hallie Thome out of her element and make Caitlin Flaherty chuck him up and, as we saw in the first half, sometimes you can just have cold stretches here or there, and just you got to hope for a prolonged cold stretch because, honestly, I think that's the only way that this game would be close is if Caitlin Flaherty or Hallie Thome goes through a an extended cold stretch that lasts almost the whole game. It's a good point, Matt, and this Michigan team, I don't think, gets enough credit uh, for its defense. Second-best defense in the Big Ten, giving up 60 points per game. We know that this is going to be – uh, a defensive battle, especially with the way Northwestern has played defensively. I think if this is a low-scoring game, which is kind of where it seems like Northwestern wants these games to be, given that their defense has been so good this year, it'll keep Northwestern in this contest. But when we last saw Michigan uh, for the Wildcats, the big area they controlled this game was was on the glass um, and from the perimeter. 7-12 uh, from the perimeter were the Wolverines in that game. For 58%. So if Northwestern can dominate the glass, maybe take away some of those open looks from the perimeter, challenge the Wolverines outside a little more, uh, they'll be able to hang in this game. Yeah, Darren, to your point, uh, Joe McEwen said in his postgame conference, uh, they want to win games in the 50s or 60s. You're absolutely right. They they don't want to let Michigan get up to 70 or 80 or so because that's going to spell trouble. Looking at the ranking summary very quick for the Wolverines, they're 10th in the country in field goal percentage, 48% from the field. Uh, from the three-point line, uh, behind the three-point arc, they're 11th in the country, shooting 39% from three. Just a, a really elite rate there. 10th in the country, first in the conference in rebound margin, out-rebounding opponents by 10 a game. 
There's just a lot of things they're good at. Uh, and, you know, to their defense, it's second in the conference, 60 points per game. You know, top 70 in the country, but in terms of Big Ten, that's very, very good. So I think you 100% are right there. And underrated defensively, this is a very good team on both sides of the ball. Uh, Kalen Flaherty, second uh, this year in field goals made. Hallie Thome, top 30 as well. Um, this is a, a really well-rounded basketball team, and they've got two stars uh, to stop. And then to their defense, you know, a player that kind of flies on the radar for them is Jillian Dunstan. She's their fifth starter. Uh, I don't know how many points she scored this season. I don't think it's that many, but she gets so many rebounds, just really, you know, a glue player on defense will do all the dirty work for them. This is going to be another good game for her. So we'll see how this game goes on Thursday. Maybe we can wrap this up, kind of how you think it's going to go or the one key. I know we, we talked about it a bit, but what what Northwestern could do in this one? I think it's going to be the battle inside is what Northwestern is going to have to do here, dictate the pace of the game, slow it down, and then dominate on the glass, which is the Palace Kunai Akpana's specialty. So if they do all of that, maybe there's a chance to keep this game close. I'm still skeptical because just going to the Chrysler Center against such a talented team is a big ask for this team. But there's there is that roadmap that you can you can kind of see the scenario where Northwestern maybe hangs in this game. But right now it just seems like it might just be too big of an ask when you want to go on the road and beat one of the best teams in the conference. It's a tough game without a doubt. My key to this game, we've talked about turnovers and rebounding. I think the person that really helps open up Palace Kanayakana's game is Abby Scheid. Abby Scheid, especially over this recent stretch, really has performed extremely well, especially against Michigan. Abby Scheid, 18 points, five rebounds in the game as well, had a couple blocks. So you talk about another person in your front court that can help open up things inside that can maybe take away a double team on Palace Kunai Akpana. Abby Scheid can do that. And also, as of recent, again, in my opinion, has started to be more aggressive shooting the ball from the perimeter. Abby Scheid against Michigan, uh, two of seven from the perimeter. Of Northwestern's 20 shots, Abby Scheid took almost half of them, which I like to see for a team that doesn't shoot the ball all that much. To have someone with some size uh, and, and a lot of strength down low, Rotate up top. Take some shots from the perimeter. I think it makes Northwestern's offense multidimensional in that department. Yeah, Darren, uh, th that, that's certainly a key to Kudayak Pata's game. And Shide this year has turned in some really great performances. I think, you know, there's a real chance that she she might be, but especially thinking about next year, the team's most important and dynamic score just because of her inside-out game. Uh, I think that wraps it up for this Michigan game. Again, that's on Thursday. Uh, let's finish here the these, these set of previews with Iowa. Iowa this season, you know, as you mentioned, Darren, disappointing in conference, four and five, but they're 16 and six, a team with tournament aspirations. Uh, they're, they're a really solid ball club, and they're, you know, they, they beat Ohio State 103 to 89 on Thursday. It's just a really big win for them to kind of turn around their Big Ten play. They did follow that up with a, a bad loss against Nebraska, but. You just see in that, in that result against Ohio State how much talent the Hawkeyes have. This is a very good basketball team led by Megan Gustafson. Uh, I might have said her name wrong earlier in the, in the podcast, but Megan Gustafson uh, making a case for Big Ten Player of the Year against Kelsey Mitchell. Exactly. Gustafson has been great for them as long as Northwestern has seen her. And it's it's been a tough ask. So we're talking about the bigs they're going to face in this stretch. Cahill, Thome, Gustafson. I mean, that is a gauntlet of bigs to go through. So I hope Palace Kanayakpana is icing up those knees this week because she's going to be in for a lot of work against these bigs the next couple weeks. But, yeah, with Iowa, we've kind of seen just the inconsistency of this team. They're 4-5 and five in Big Ten play, but you mentioned that big win over Ohio State shows that, you know what, they can go out there and beat anybody on this conference on a given night. But they've had their share of struggles, too. They've lost two Two, both games to Nebraska, they've lost four of their last five. This team has just been up and down, it seems, throughout Big Ten play. It's hard to really get a grip on really where they're going to end up by the end of the year. But outside of Gustafson, it's, it's a solid supporting cast. Without Ali Disterhoff this year, it's going to be a lot tougher to find other big scoring options. And 
you know, Mackenzie Myers still there, Tania Davis back from the ACL injury at point guard. There are some other good role players to have around your star down low, but it just doesn't have quite the same vibe to this Iowa team. All of that being said, when they're at their best, they can go out there and beat anybody. So not an easy ask for Northwestern. Certainly not an easy ask, but Megan Gustafson, my goodness, averaging 24 points per game, second most in the conference, leads the conference in rebounds per game with 12. Best field goal percentage in the Big Ten at 66%. It's a tough ask, not just for Palace Kunayakwana, but anyone in the conference, anyone in the country. That's tough. Uh, and again, you have to ask head coach Joe McEwen, what do you do? Do you go to a zone? Do you go man-to-man? What kind of defensive scheme uh, do you want to throw at the Hawkeyes? I think for Northwestern, where they match up well, at least offensively, it's a very below-average Iowa defense when you look in terms of points per game uh, that the Hawkeyes have been giving up this season. Uh, In terms of uh, points per game, Iowa giving up about 69 points per game. That's number 11 in the Big Ten. So that's an area where Northwestern can take advantage, maybe getting things going offensively. I think when the Wildcats force turnovers, they get steals with Jordan Hamilton, they force steals with their guards. It helps them get into transition, helps them add a multi-dimensional piece to an offense that likes to get into that half-court offense rhythm. So Lindsey Pulliam, Jordan Hamilton can find a way, step in some of the passing lanes, Get the ball out of Gustafson's hands. Maybe Northwestern's best defense for Gustafson is its offense in this one. And before you jump in, man, I want to issue a correction on what I said earlier. Tania Davis has torn her ACL once again this year. It's been absolutely brutal for her. But Northwestern last year saw Iowa just a couple weeks after Tania Davis tore her ACL. And then sure enough, just about a month ago again this season, Davis tore her ACL once again. So, it's been a real bummer for her at this stage of her career. But, again, this is an Iowa team that has some depth issues, like we talked about with Indiana, that are really being put into play right now when one of their best players goes down once again. Very important point. Uh, it's definitely going to hurt them. Matt, and you look at kind of what happened to this Nebraska game. Iowa kind of got theirs. Megan Gustafson, 26 points. Kathleen Doyle had 16. Iowa got to 74 uh, the problem was is that Nebraska had 92, uh, shot 49% from the field, just a, a really scorching day for them. I, I don't know if that's a, a, a reasonable blueprint for Northwestern to follow here against Iowa. They're going to have to stop because, as you guys have said, uh, Iowa shot one of 12 from the three-point line uh, against Nebraska, so maybe that's something to try to replicate, keep that three-point defense going. Again, I'm going to do my thing and look at those ranking summaries. Darren, as you mentioned, Gustafson is just absurd. Uh, Number one in the country in field goals made, number two in field goal percentage. She shoots 66% from the field. That's absurd. Every three times she shoots, it goes in twice. Just ridiculous there. Uh, She's 12th in the country in free throws made. All of those numbers I just mentioned are tops in the conference. Uh, And because of her singular brilliance, Iowa is really good at some stats. They're number one in the country in assists. Have to think there's a lot of inside-outside game going there. They're fourth in defensive rebounds per game, which is, uh, I chalked that a lot up to Gustafson as well. Um, They're the 24th scoring scoring offense in the country. This is a really talented team, but they're kind of mercurial. They're kind of inconsistent. We wonder which Iowa will show up in this ballgame at ATHS. You can't sleepwalk through any games at ATHS, as Maryland just found out. Northwestern could bring it uh, at Beardsley Gym. So we'll see. Let's wrap this kind of whole segment up. What's going to happen in this game? How can Northwestern get a win against a below 500 conference team in Iowa? Well, I mean, my key here is going to involve actually not Megan Gustafson because that's just almost a given whenever you see Iowa on the schedule. But Kathleen Doyle has really taken on that point guard role for this team with Davis out. And she's also taken on the Disterhoff role from last year of being that secondary perimeter scorer to complement Gustafson. And if she's off, then this Iowa team suddenly doesn't quite look the same as they do when she's on. They dropped 74 points, which is fine in that Nebraska game, but she went 6 for 17 from the field. If she has an on night there, then they're probably hanging with Nebraska in that ball game. So 
He's putting some defensive attention on Kathleen Doyle on the perimeter, not only as a scorer, but also as a distributor, is a very big key for this game. I like to see what Northwestern's going to do from the perimeter um, when this team's going to get going, because I really believe there are talented shooters on this team from the outside. Lindsey Pulliam, Jordan Hamilton, Abby Scheid, there are players on this team that can shoot the ball from the perimeter. And those are some of those, what I like to call the splash plays, the momentum-changing plays of the game that Northwestern could really use against a team like Iowa, who we've seen at times this defense has been up and down this year for the Hawkeyes. So if the Wildcats can find a way to get going from the perimeter, and whether that be more high ball screens, whether that may be swinging the basketball to the right and left side wing, whatever the case may be, Northwestern has, a find, has to find a way to get those open shots from the perimeter. And maybe it's some more high-low stuff. We saw that a ton against Maryland. The Wildcats put the ball into their players who have size, who have that strength with Palace Kunai Akpana, with Abby Shai. We've seen some backdoor cuts with the guards, with Jordan Hamilton, with Lindsey Pulliam, with Bertie Galernick as well. So maybe switching up this offense that they like to run in that half-court style up top on the key, find a way to give some different perimeter looks to the Hawkeyes. But... Should be an exciting game. <clears throat> we'll see how Northwestern can do in this stretch. Two on the road, one at home. We'll have all three of them for you. Do not know who is on that call yet for Iowa, or if we do, I, I don't know. Matt, uh, you can help me out here. We're, we've gone pretty long because we've had a preview some games, and maybe we can talk a little bit about what's been happening in the Big Ten. Uh, the big result for me is that Iowa beat Ohio State, but then followed up by losing Nebraska, who... I think Matt has kind of put themselves in a very, very good spot to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, Minnesota is kind of there, too, and Purdue has kind of fallen off, and so has Rutgers. Yeah, it's kind of the wild Big Ten right now. I love this time of year because just when you think you know something to say confidently that this team is good or bad or whatever, then something goes out and shocks the whole world, just like that Iowa game against Ohio State. And yeah, with Nebraska too, 7-2 and two in Big Ten play. I don't think they have to do much more to get into the tournament. Look at the rest of their schedule coming up. They got Illinois at home, then they got Maryland, then they get Wisconsin at home, and then they have three more road games at Michigan State, Indiana, and Maryland, and home against Penn State. Realistically, if they, I think they have to win four of those to feel really, really good about their tournament chances. Three, and they're probably okay. But four, and I yeah, think it's almost a lock. You'd and feel pretty it was good. Illinois and Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, that's two right there. You'd feel good about Penn State as three. Then you just probably yeah. got to beat at Indiana or at Michigan State. Certainly both doable games here for the Huskers. Uh, this is a really good team that's really surprised me this season. Um, the Rutgers, man. Oh, it's been, it's been, they've come tumbling back down to earth. Uh, they lost to the Nebraska, scored 42 points. Uh, then follow that up by losing to Indiana by six in Bloomington. Uh, are they still alive in this thing? I guess technically they are just because they're, they're still got the winning record in conference play, but I mean, their spirits just have to be crushed at this point. They started so well to the year. They were 16 and two. They were 16 and two just a few weeks ago. But since then you lose four of five and that's just a killer. At this point, and they haven't even in that stretch of four or five, they haven't even and, played and those top three yeah, teams in the conference. Matt, the gauntlet they have the gauntlet that we've coming been talking up now. about is coming. They're it's, they're oh. just in so much trouble. They may not like the rest of their games. It's just I don't know. I think their best the best chance to win is probably at ETHS uh, at the rest of the year. That and that's it. I think that and even at that yeah, point, at, they might at be Wisconsin, so you'd, you'd feel that they could get that too. But that's Maybe, two but wins. It, Can you find another one uh, on that schedule? I don't at know home against Iowa? Yeah, I mean, that's a close chance. one. But uh, it's, it's that's, that gets you to eight, and you need eight at the minimum to be considered. I don't think an eight-win Big Ten team is going to get uh, get that uh, bid. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're kind of sealed their fate here. Uh, it's really unfortunate. This was a really fun team, and they're kind of out. Minnesota, the other team we should talk about, they're five and three, same record as Purdue, but have a little bit more of a resume because they played some real people in non-conference. Can Minnesota kind of be that fifth team that makes it, or are they just uh, too far out because of the Big Ten strength? 
they got the nice win at home against Iowa this week, but I think that's probably going to be their best win when it's all said and done at the end of the year, just because there's, there's still so clearly a step below those top tier teams. And they still got Michigan and Maryland uh, on the schedule as well as a trip to Iowa city. So I think you combine all of those and it's just going to be too much of an ask for Minnesota because then even if they lose those three win out, that's 10 and six, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of borderline at this point, And that's asking a lot. So I would say their chances are probably around maybe 25, 30%, and that might even be generous at this point. Yeah, we'll see what Minnesota could do. You kind of look at their schedule. If you if you pencil in three losses for at Iowa, Michigan, and Maryland, that kind of puts them to six losses in the Big Ten. They could go 10-6. and six. That'd certainly be a bubble team. That'd be a bubble team, but the way the committee picked last year, I don't know if that's good enough. We'll see how their Big Ten tournament goes. It's going to be very important for them. Uh, just looking at this week, you know, highlighting some of the big matchups. Uh, I mean, Minnesota, I think, is playing right now at Wisconsin. They're an hour in. I'm not going to get a live update. I'm assuming Minnesota will win that one. I hope so. Uh, the gauntlet starts for Rutgers. Um, not really any anything else uh, worth, worth mentioning. Minnesota at Iowa, the game we just mentioned, is a big one for both of those teams. Uh, Maryland at Nebraska. Maybe Nebraska can pull off a shock upset in Lincoln. We'll see. You look at the hottest team in this conference, just based off of winning streak, Michigan's won six games in a row. And again, I know that Maryland this year has been excellent, and they're 7-1 and in the conference, but when you take a look at, at this, this Big Ten Conference tournament coming up, with the way that Michigan's been playing, with those six wins in a row, Maryland on a three-game winning streak, I don't know. This this Wolverines team is is really scary from the way that they've been playing of recent. Matt, I don't know. Do you think that Michigan could be could be that number one seed? I mean, they're just, just they're statistically in it, but do you think that they can I mean, continue this well, play? Darren, they got the offense. I think that's what you're talking about, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. I think Maryland they kind of had their scare of a game at ETHS last week, so I think they're pretty locked in after that effort right there. And I find it hard to believe that they drop uh, a Big Ten game the rest of the way. I mean, the Ohio State one was also kind of a wake-up call for them at that point. So, you know what? I think I think Maryland, i got to know now, they're still the class of the conference. That's just, that's just who they are. It, they've been that way for the last few years now. I find it hard to believe that they give up that top spot right now. But I think Michigan's a team you don't want to see. In the Big Ten tournament, if that's what you were going for, I 100% with you on that one. That Michigan is not that with that offense, with that firepower, they get hot at any point. They can beat anyone. So that's not a team that you want to face uh, in that Big Ten tournament. I think that wraps it up for us. Thanks a lot, Darren, for coming on. I'm sure we'll see you on a broadcast soon. Hopefully, Matt. Thank you as well. I don't know when you're getting back on a broadcast either, but I can't be too long. Um, Make sure you tune in to all three of these games, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, all will be on WR. We are going to take a break next week because there are those three games kind of spacing out this podcast a little bit here. But, you know, we'll be with you for this stretch run of the season and really circle the Big Ten tournament on your calendar. That's going to be a really fun end of the year for us and for everyone at WR. That signs it off for me. I'm Alex here. You listen to another episode of Crashing the Boards on WR. Oh,